Success, if I can sum it up, is just a game of attrition. So you're gonna go up against people better, smarter, stronger, faster than you, but they will give up. There's gonna be a thousand times every year where something challenges you, punches you in the face, physically or metaphorically, and most people, they just cannot take the blood and the pain, and so they quit. I don't need to be the smartest person, and I can still succeed at the highest level. I can have massive impact in the world, but I have to understand the reality of what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, what I'm willing to put time and energy into getting better at, what I need to outsource. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. This is episode 300. Thank you. Thanks to all of you that follow the show, that listen to the show, that give feedback. I really appreciate you being here for the first 300 and hope you're here for the next 300. And I wanted to do something really, really special. So what I'm doing is I'm releasing Tom Bilyeu's full interview from stage at Lake Tahoe in January 2023. I did the interview live with him in front of 300 GoBundance members. We're going to save the Q&A from the audience. That's exclusive to the membership but the rest is all coming to you. And we really started, because the tenor of the conference was really heavy on relationships, we started there with Tom, and he has some deep, deep introspections on relationships. You gotta hear what he talked about there. But soon after, we did pivot to business, and especially technology, and there were two things I'd love for you to really pay attention to, and that is how he's planning to mimic Disney in building impact theory, even though his route that he's doing it with is comic books. That was strange to me, and we talked about that. And also, the the first time I had ever heard of, as well as the rest of the room, something called Webtoon, which he says has a one-to-one watch ratio with YouTube. Interesting. Dive in on those two concepts from a business perspective. Hear what he has to say about relationships and so much more. It was a really amazing interview. Hope you enjoy it. Let's go. I want to start on this topic of relationships. We were talking yeah. to the other room about this, and I uh, I want to start because this came up as well with the relationship with the self, self-love, if you will. I heard you in trying to describe your, your uh, comparison to maybe Disney or Elon and whether or not you could compete at that level in- intellectually, use this quote that said, uh, you can make a racehorse out of a pig. You can't make a racehorse out of a pig, right. but you can make a really fast pig. Yeah. For me, I know for me, I'll, I'll tend to Maybe it's self-deprecation, maybe it's limiting beliefs, but I'll tend to, in any part of my life, not recognize where I'm a racehorse, and I'll default to the pig. Mm. How do you avoid that trap? So your goals make demands. This is, I look at everything through this lens. Once you say what you wanna do, then what you have to do becomes self-evident. There's no arguing with it. So if you say that you want to win a gold medal in the Olympics, then if you're sitting around drinking beer and eating pizza, you will lose. And so to do that, you have to figure out, okay, which sport is it exactly that I wanna do? What muscle groups do I need to work in order to get there? How do I have to eat in order to train towards that? You have to know the metrics that you're using to move forward. And so people need to be more data-driven. Like that's one thing, the male equivalent of I have a nail in my head is like, I know I can be great, I wanna do it, but what do you wanna do, honey? I don't know. It's like people don't have the clarity. And my thing is you don't have enough clarity in your life if you don't know what to do with the next 15 minutes. And so a lot of people, they have a grand sense of what they wanna do, but they don't have the specifics yet. So getting the data, knowing exactly what you're driving towards, and then do those things. Don't whine about it, don't cry about it, it just makes demands. And so the thing about being a fast pig was all of us are gonna have that thing inside of our minds that messes with us. 
And for me, it was always my intelligence. I've always felt, and still to this day, quite frankly, feel like I'm just smart enough to realize how much smarter other people are. And it's a very frustrating place to live. But I've also learned that if I do what I call the physics of progress, and I just iterate my way forward, that I'll beat everybody. I mean, literally, I just mow through people that are smarter than me because they break emotionally. Hmm. And so getting to the point, like success, if I can sum it up, is just a game of attrition. So you're gonna go up against people better, smarter, stronger, faster than you, but they will give up. There's gonna be a thousand times every year where something challenges you, punches you in the face, physically or metaphorically, and most people, they just cannot take the blood and the pain, and so they quit. And if you can just not quit, you can keep going. So I needed a way to rally myself, to be like, okay, I don't need to be the smartest person, and I can still succeed at the highest level. I can have massive impact in the world. But I have to understand the reality of what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, what I'm willing to put time and energy into getting better at, what I need to outsource. And so, yeah, everything breaks down into there is a reality of the situation. Completely abandon magic thinking and just look at what do my goals demand. If you do that, you're going to be fine. If you pretend, if you make believe, if you lie to yourself, which is what most people do, and they don't even realize it, and I'm sure at some point we'll talk about frame of reference, but most people are so trapped in a frame of reference that they, they can't see the way out. And I am just hell-bent on one idea. You're having a biological experience. And so now, if it's true that any of us can get 100 times better at anything, then it's like, well, think wisely about the thing that you want to get 100 times better at. Because ideally, it would be an area in which you are a racehorse, but your love and passion may not make that a reality. Interesting. And then you figure that out and you go after it with everything you've got. Frame of reference, I'm assuming we'll talk about storytelling, how you're leveraging that to unlock the matrix for people? Yeah, so the frame of reference to use that language is the matrix. So as Morpheus explains what the matrix is, he says it's the lie the world has pulled over your eyes. In reality, it's the lie you have pulled over your eyes that biology mandates effectively and you get lost in that. So if you've ever heard David Foster Wallace, this is water. Uh, An old fish swims by two young fish and says, hey boys, how's the water? And they turn and look at each other and go, what's water? Mm. So we're all immersed in something that we can't see. And I will say that probably 80% of the arguments that you get in with your spouse, your friends, whatever, is a frame of reference problem. Left versus right, it's a frame of reference problem. Now, what ends up happening, and I'll tell you what a frame of reference is made of. It's really simple. There's five things. So frame of reference is values, frame of reference is beliefs, frame of reference is your routines and your rules. And then the fifth thing, which you could, it's really a part of beliefs, but it's probably worth calling out itself, what you believe to be true about yourself and the world. So what, how do you think this all works? And how good do you think you are and what you're capable of? Those things together create a completely distorted view of the world. And we all optimize our distortions to try to make forward progress. I can go into why that's biologically just self-evidently true for people that need the like, no, I need to be able to build this idea from the ground up. Uh, Because that's really one you can take all the way down the rabbit hole to figure out how we end up in this situation. But each and every one of us has a, 
a frame of reference, and we think our frame of reference is us very carefully recognizing the truth of how the world works, when in reality, it is a series of wild distortions that you have created either to protect yourself or to propel yourself forward. And until you understand that it's completely handcrafted and not in any way, shape, or form representative of reality, once you get that, you can start going in and handcrafting things to get you where you want to go. So if something in your life is broken, you just go, it's one of these five things. It's either my values, my beliefs, my rules, my routines, or my very sense of what is possible for myself in the world. And you're going to fix your life by addressing those things. Now, there's a PhD dissertation in each one of those bullet sure, points, sure. but once you can boil it down to, oh, okay, cool, I get this. Yep. It's all a me problem. I have to solve something in me. It's not an extrinsic thing. It's not out here. Work my way through it. Again, what's my goal? How do I get to my goal? You know, using the nail in the forehead example, all of us, because this is how we're wired, but you're having a biological experience, so you better think about why for a woman watching that, she'd be like, they really don't get it. They really think it's about the nail. Yeah. And in that moment, when you get that a woman, when they laugh at that, they're laughing at you, motherfuckers. They're not laughing at themselves. <laughs> then you will have a breakthrough in your relationship because they have an entirely different frame of reference. And it's based on their biology, which is controlling their values, their beliefs, their sense of what's possible in the world. And so we're coming at it because we think our frame of reference is true. When somebody else has a different frame of reference, we go, you're a moron. And so now, every time people have a collision of worldviews, they retreat into themselves, think the other person is a moron, and now they're not learning, right? So rule number one, sit humbly at the feet of anybody because you can learn something from anyone, literally anyone. Now, most people won't do that because of their frame of reference tells them some people are worth listening to, others are not, but that's because they actually believe their own frame of reference. Yeah. You talk about data, um, just going back to relationships or in the, in the sphere of relationships. Uh, you seem to, from what I've learned of you, uh, do a lot of research before you arrive at a very certain conclusion for you, building that certainty. One of the things in terms of uh, a decision you made, I've heard you say, is a sacrifice to achieve the vision that you have for your life. One of the sacrifices you made, you and Lisa, was to not have children. And I've heard you talk about, uh, I think it was a book you read, The Feminine Brain, or The Female Brain. The Female Brain, brain yeah. Where, where uh, you, you indicated that when a woman reproduces, when she becomes a mom, yeah. she releases a neuro, neurochemical change that you felt was toxic. Maybe that's not the word, I would but never use that not word. Not that word. You felt was going to shift the dynamics of the relationship away from that's where the goal That's 100%. Okay. Everybody in here that has kids knows the second you have kids, your priorities change completely. Yep. Yep. So nature is just going to grab you. So first of all, to all the parents in the room, I would like to say, and I mean that, I'm not trying to be funny in the slightest, thank you for your service. The world needs more people that are having kids and raising them well. That is one of the most honorable things you could do with your life. And so while that is not the path that I have chosen, uh, it is one of the most incredible and yeah. meaningful paths, and it actually is the path that I recommend to most other people. Sure. And when I think about nature only has two levers, pleasure and pain. Nature is trying to get you to stay alive long enough to have kids that have kids. You can call that God, you can call it whatever you want, but that's how this is wired. For whatever reason, this is the thing that God chose or evolution, if that's your bag, it all works out the same. Yeah. And so understanding nature has an objective to keep you alive, alive long enough to have kids that have kids, and it only has two levers, pleasure and pain, it's got to do some really interesting things to keep you facing that saber-toothed tiger. And one of them is fulfillment. 
And so going back to like organizing principles for your life, I'll just tell you right now, there's only one thing that matters, period, end of story. I don't care what they tell you the rest of this entire time that you're here. There's only one thing that matters in life, boys and girls, and you're all going to be excited about the people that make the most money. But I will tell you this, be excited about the person that feels the best about themselves when they're by themselves. That's the motherfucker to rally around because that person has figured something out. I don't know how many billionaires have to commit suicide before people go, oh shit, money is awesome by the way. It's better than you think. It's just different. So most people think money's gonna change the way they feel about themselves. It will not. Money is a facilitator. It lets you build things, but it doesn't change who you are, how you feel about yourself. Sure. So you have to be really thoughtful about that. So you wanna be focusing on that. Fulfillment is the recipe to feel good about yourself when you're by yourself. Fulfillment actually has ingredients. If you do these things, your life will be amazing. And it goes like this. Work your ass off. You must work hard. There is no way around that. If everything is handed to you, you will implode because nature is trying to keep you alive long enough to have kids that have kids. It only has pleasure and pain. It's assuming you're going to have to go out and fight for every meal, like literally fight for your life for every meal. So it's got to do something to incentivize you to go do dangerous, difficult things. And the way that it incentivizes that is pleasure, that when you go do hard things, you feel good, and pain. If you don't do hard things and you're not contributing, you feel bad. So even if your parents give you all the money in the world, you didn't earn it, you feel a profound sense of disease. So that's part number one of the fulfillment formula. You're gonna work really hard to gain a set of skills, okay? This is progress, very important. You're gonna transform potential, into actual usable skill set. And that's where you'll get that feeling of progress in your life. I'm moving, I'm going somewhere. But those skills need to serve you and other people in a way that's meaningful. Now, if you do that, it's basically, again, nature, here she comes, making sure that you're contributing to the group in a meaningful way. Why? Because from an evolutionary perspective, if you weren't a member in good standing with the tribe, you were exiled and you died. And so it was quite literally a matter of life and death for you to contribute meaningfully to the society. Now that could be by playing guitar. It doesn't have to be you out slaying dragons. It, you know, there's gonna be all kinds of different ways that different people contribute. But you need to be busting your ass, breaking yourself in half to get better at something that really matters. How do you bridge the gap of communication with your wife on something like that? Like we've all studied and kind of dug in our heels on like, this is me, I, this is what fulfills me and everything. But often, I don't know if the word's enrolling or getting acceptance or whatever from your, from your spouse is the challenge for that communication piece. So Lisa, I, I'm a, I, from what I read, I don't think she was necessarily initially like, oh yeah, we're never gonna have kids. That was a decision no, no, you came no. to later, yeah, right? So yeah. how do she you- She wanted four kids. She wanted four kids, right. How do you, then effectively communicate so that it's not, you know, just overwhelming her with your desire or with what you've studied and come up with as a conclusion so that she's enrolled in that vision. Well, so this is interesting. So there's two questions in there. There's the context of Lisa herself deciding she doesn't want kids Correct. and that actually creating friction in our relationship the other way. Hmm. And then there is the ability to get on the same page with somebody 
your significant other being the most important and probably the person that most feels like an alien to you, yeah. at least if you're in a heterosexual relationship, because we're just wired so differently. Sure. So Lisa and I understood very early on, hey, we didn't have all the words that we have now. Like I wouldn't have been able to say, we each have different frames of reference, but that's what I was coming at. And so the good news is when I was a teenager, I was terrible with women. And so I started reading Cosmopolitan magazine because I was like, yo, this is like being behind enemy lines. This is fucking amazing. <laughs> so for me, let me tell you, I knew where the clitoris was. I was yeah. like, I am on this, man. It's like the only thing I've got going for me. <laughs> so, but I couldn't impress women. I couldn't understand why not. So I was constantly reading about it. And so I was learning a lot from the female perspective. They don't understand us. They don't ask these kinds of questions. They don't know about this. And I was like, wow. So there's a lot of... I wish they knew about me mm. and my unique perspective. And so I thought, oh, okay, word, I'm going to do that. I'm going to become the master of understanding women. Now, the irony of my life is that is the worst way to get laid. <laughs> and so I, I, you can't imagine how shocked I was. I'm like, I took your advice. What the fuck? Yeah. So now I'm offended. I'm like, I have done everything that you have asked. And through all of that, I finally go to this guy that is just really good with women. George Leonardopoulos. And I say, George, you're very good with women. What's the secret? And he goes, oh, you just have to treat them like an asshole. And I was like, this can't be true. This is so stupid. George, that's such a cliche. Yeah. And I knew George. He wasn't an asshole. So I'm like, what is he getting at? Because he means something. Mm -hmm. He's using the like catchy words sure. to be you know, provocative, but isn't what he's actually doing. And so I thought about things I'd been told by girls that had broken up with me and stuff. And it was always like, oh, you're not yourself once we start dating. I didn't know what they meant at the time, but obviously what they meant was I became fearful of losing them. So I stopped taking risks and being unique and special. And I took my edges down and I conformed to what I thought they wanted. But what they want is someone that they have to earn. And so by removing that, they're, nah, they're suddenly not interested. And so I began to see, okay, cool. What he actually means is I need to truly embody confidence and I need to be willing to walk away. And I made a switch. And boys and girls, when I say that you could draw a line in the sand in my life from when I was like, I'm going to try to do everything right to get this girl and switched it to, I'm going to be exactly who I am. I'm going to be a bat symbol in the sky. And I'm like, this is who I am. And I only need one person to respond positively to that. And so Batman's going to show up. And as long as that's the right person, it happened to be Lisa. And literally everything worked out. But up to meeting Lisa, I went from not being able to um, succeed with women to like within my sexual market value. Let me be very real. Because at the time I was broke. But within my sexual market value, I was like, oh my God, this is almost too easy. This is crazy. And so it became clear that that there is a game that you have to play because you have to package yourself up correctly. Like I don't interact with my wife now the way that I did on our first date. In fact, my opening line to my wife was, sit your ass down, you're not going anywhere. And so, and she sat down. Yeah. And she was like, herself, <laughs> later as we got to know each other, she was like, I, like I could thing. not believe that I just sat down. She was like, that came so out of left field. But the confidence of it all and everything, just it's intriguing if nothing else in the beginning. So understanding what they actually want, yep. understanding that this is a psychological game, that's going to be the beginning of 
understanding how to communicate. And so what I had to realize was I have a worldview. It's largely predicated on my biology. It's predicated on my traumas, the things that I've learned about what works and what doesn't work, blind spots, all of it. And so I'm not going to go into any exchange going, I am right. I'm going to go into any exchange going, what is my goal? And this is why you have to write down your values. So I decide to get married, right? Let's skip ahead a few years to when Lisa and I really begin to crystallize these ideas. And when I decided to get married, so I'd read a book called The Power of Myth. If you are a man, especially if you have kids, and you haven't read The Power of Myth, that is an absolute must read. And in that book, Joseph Campbell is lamenting that we don't have any more coming of age rituals. And he was like, I think part of the reason that 50% of people get divorced is because there's nothing to remind them. You're a different person the day before you get married and the day after. True. And he goes in the book into detail about all these coming-of-age rituals, and they're brutal, man. We used to take kids out in the woods, kick their teeth in, uh, put hooks, metal hooks, in the flesh of their back, make them jump off things, play tug-of-war. I mean, just like brutal shit. Send them out into the woods and be like, hey, come back with the lion, hope you make it. But if you don't, word, like it just, you are weak. But for real. Now really think about that. For real, for real. Not for pretendsies, not where dad's secretly hiding in a bush to make sure you're okay. It's like mom is freaking the fuck out. You do this whole thing where you go and you ritualistically rip the child out of the mother's arms. It's a whole ceremony thing. She's freaking out and crying. And you, in some cultures, make them do something that is truly life and death dangerous. Now you can imagine, you come back from that and you're like, I'm here now. Like, I'm a man. And so it was just... I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I only want to get married once. I want to do something that is ritualistic, and I need it to be painful. And so I decided I was either going to get branded or get a tattoo as a ritualistic scarification. It was something permanent that I couldn't undo. I thought the tattoo was better because I could design it, make it personal, make it really mean something. So I designed a tattoo, got it put on my body. I focused on the pain while they were doing it. I wasn't trying to minimize it. I was trying to lean into it. Kept staring at my wife while I was doing it, and I was like, mentally, internally, I was like, I'm doing this for her. And if you guys know the disposable male hypothesis, this is so fucking interesting. And it sounds terrible, but it's actually fucking beautiful. And what it means is you have been bred by millennia to be willing to die for those that you love. That's fucking rad, man. And so I've run that scenario in my head a gazillion times. That Lisa, and this, I mean, your alarm will go off at your house, whatever. And so you get tested. You never know. I don't know if it's a false alarm or if this is the real one, right? Yeah. And every time I've got to get my ass out of bed and go face whatever the hell is coming for me and mine. And so, and I treat those moments like that. And so while, of course, when I replay the moment that my, you know, my life is truly in jeopardy, I kill them all. Let me be very clear. Uh, but should I fail yeah. to truly be willing to lay your life down? So anyway, constructing, this is all frame of reference, right? So I'm building, I'm telling myself the story over and over and over, over and over and over, that I would do anything for my wife. I would walk on hot coals, which I actually had a chance to do and did with her in my mind. And so when you have that kind of thing built in, and then you get into an argument, you start going, okay, my goal here is to have a long-lasting, thriving marriage full of love. My goal here is to elevate my wife. These are all things that I've you know, documented in my own life, so I know what they are. Um, I want her to win, and so I'm not trying to win the argument. Like, I want to elevate us together. So I'm looking for an exit ramp, not a victory lap. And so as I'm looking for all of those things, then it just becomes tactics. And the thing that I think has made... So Lisa and I have been married for 20 years. And the thing that's allowed us to last that long 
They are hilarious. When I start telling people what we do to make our marriage work, they're, they're just tactics. And they're funny sometimes yeah. where you're like, really, you do that? We do that shit all the time. So breaking out those tactics that work for you to how do you de-escalate an argument in five seconds or less, right? Like, how do you do that? How do you negotiate a values collision? How do you not talk about the tea, right? So the biggest argument my wife and I ever got into was over a cup of tea. Absolutely hilarious, ends up in a shouting match, and I finally, like two hours into yelling at the person I love most in this world, I'm like, there's no way this is about fucking tea. And so I'm like, there's no way this is about tea. So what is this? What are we actually talking about? And this is a real breakthrough moment for us. And I realized, okay, highest value is my wife. I want to elevate her. I want a thriving relationship for a very long time. What's this actually colliding with? And I realized, oh, I have a competing goal. And this is where people are blinded by their frame of reference. You're often being led by a goal you don't realize you're being led by. So my earliest goal was to have other people think I was smart, and that held me back in business. Once I got rid of that and decided I'm just going to value myself for identifying the right answer instead of trying to be right, my life changed. So now I realize in this argument with Lisa, okay, what I need to do here is figure out I'm angry because I've had an insecurity triggered. And what I'm really steering towards is I want to feel powerful in front of my wife. And this insecurity is making me feel weak. I can't have that. My identity won't tolerate it. I fear that she won't find me sexually attractive if I'm weak. So it's like this whole fragile ego begins to, you know, sort of vibrate and threaten to fall apart. And that's when people lash out. And so we just started, we created a rule. If you're angry, it means you're insecure. And so your job is to identify why you're insecure and say it out loud. Mm. Now, the only way that works is if your significant other would never, under any circumstances, leverage your insecurities against you. And that's not easy. I'll stop there because I can keep going. This stuff is like this infinite recursive loop that takes you down to the bottom of the rabbit hole. Yeah. But I'll take a breath here and okay. let you, uh, if okay. you want to steer somewhere else. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you're getting tremendous value. I want to make sure that with this information, you have a way in which you can integrate it into your life. Best way to do that is being a member of any of our GoBundance communities. Just go to GoBundance.com, submit your application. No matter your net worth, we've got the community for you. Back to the show. In the interest of time, I'll wrap up relationship with this question that we'll pivot over to the business side. Um, if uh, there's a quote that you mentioned, I forget the name of the book, Gulag Archipelago? Is that yeah. the name of the book? Yeah, yeah. If I were to, uh, if someone were to be tortured to death, allow themselves to be tortured to death, I would bet it's a woman. Yeah. How does that show up? What does that mean in your relationship with Lisa? What is it? What is that? Yeah, just well, explain that. It's terrifying because that one really plays out perfectly for yeah. me. My wife, 100%, is the person that gets tortured to death. So there's a book called The Gulag Archipelago, which is a true story written by a guy named Solzhenitsyn who was in the Russian gulag. If you know Mao's China, it's sort of the same thing. The re-education camp. So many people die, they just kill people by literally the millions. And you would be accused of some false crime and then they would force you to commit, uh, or sorry, to confess and they would torture you until, until you did it. And he said, most people realize after you know, a week, two weeks of this that, oh, wow, it, what is true doesn't matter. I just need to give them something so they can go get somebody else, bring them in and start torturing them. And there's no way out of this recursive loop other than death. And so most guys, once they finally get to that point, they just say, okay, I'm done. And what he found was that every now and then somebody would let themselves be tortured to death and it was almost always a woman. Mm. And he doesn't go into like a deep explanation of why that is, but I think it is because when you think about a woman 
and what nature does to her when she has a child. This is, you know, what we call the mama bear syndrome. And so there's, there's this idea that there is no more ferocious of a creature than a mother bear protecting her young. Now, when this gets really interesting is when you understand the gentleman, you are the head, your wife is the neck. And so your wife may not go fight that fight, but oh dear God, is she going to convince you to do it? And this is somebody who has the power to let herself be tortured to death that is coming to convince you to get the fuck out there and fight, you know, come back on your shield or with it, right? If you know that from uh, the, the um, 300, who are they? Somebody shout it out. Spartans, Spartans thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, this is Sparta. Uh, so... It's a really fascinating dynamic. So women have to protect their kids. They, there's so many fascinating things that go along with being feminine. And this is why people get lost because they see the soft side, yeah. but then they forget that the mama bear syndrome's in there. And so I, it plays into that. So with my own wife, she has a gear that I call righteous indignation. Right, right, right. Yeah. So if you cross a line with her where she's like, this line ought not be crossed. Now I use that word to indicate morality. So my wife believes that the way the world ought to be she would be willing to fight for it because to her, it's nothing about her. It is, but she doesn't realize that. To her, it's just like, this is how the world ought to be and I will fight to the death for it. And so if somebody steps across that line, she goes into attack mode. Now for me, that doesn't make any sense because I'm always, what's my goal? And if my goal, you know, in business, you guys are gonna get this, there's a lot of times we have to let somebody do their thing. Like they want a peacock or whatever. I don't care. Like I just want to get to the end goal. Not my wife, man. Does she, does, she, does she tell you when that's the case? When she's dug in on something like, hey, I'm in torture me to the death mode versus I could be convinced. She's gotten good at it now yeah. because I don't punish her for being honest when she's triggered by something any more than she punishes Wouldn't me. Would be by punish her. So if you withdraw attention, that's yeah. probably the best way. Or if you just tell them that's stupid. Oh, that's idiotic. I don't know why you would think that. Yeah. That's, that's brutal punishment. Gotcha. Because if you're in the right relationship, your significant other wants your approval more than anybody else's in the world. Yeah. And so it's like, when you tell them that's dumb, why are you doing that? That's, that's a rejection. Now we all have to deal with those and you can't just say yes, 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 any more than they should say yes, yes, yes to you. But it is a delicate balance to walk. That's crazy. No, I, I thought of that. Like, I, you know, I, I can't tell, and this is on me, when my wife is dug in, like, and, and I'm attacking her because I get dug in, right? I get dug into my stance, she's in hers, but I can't tell. Is this something where one of us is gonna flinch? It's very easy to tell if you're dug in. You will have heightened emotion. Mm. When you're completely calm, and you're like, oh, okay, I see. I need to ask a series of questions. If you're really trying to convince somebody, you're never going to tell them a series of things. You're going to ask them a series of questions. And the reason is you're trying to penetrate their frame of reference. So remember, when somebody's, when, when I use this idea a lot, when two intelligent, well-meaning people disagree, one of two things is absolutely true. You have a collision of values so you each believe, you understand each other completely. You could steel man their argument. You can say their argument as well or better than they can. They can do the same for you, but you still disagree with each other. Or you have a different base assumption about the situation and that falls into that, how does the world work category. So like for my wife, her base assumption is, oh, if you cross this line, you ought to be attacked. And for me, it's like, oh, in any situation, you should be asking what your goal is and make sure that you do the thing that most efficiently moves you towards your goal. Now, if you haven't articulated that to each other, you won't understand why all of a sudden your wife, in my case, is doing something 
that's going to move you away from the bigger goal. And so when that happens, then I say, in this moment, how would you like to proceed? Well, this is crazy. They crossed this line. Okay, amazing. What's your hierarchy of values in this moment? Being right about this and punishing them for their indiscretion, or do you still want to get your goal? And then she's going to tell you what she actually wants. And sometimes it's going to be they need to be punished. And now you know what you're up against. And it's like, okay, we now have a collision of values. I see the world differently than you. Now for Lisa and I, and this is where we get into tactics, for Lisa and I, we slip into SOPs. And if we have any, and we're like a room full of entrepreneurs, so you better know SOPs. And so we slip into SOPs and just go, okay, when we have a collision of values, what do we do? And we just do it. And then if we're in a, a heated argument, we have rules of engagement, just like the military does for when you encounter the enemy, what can you do, what can't you do? And so we've gone through all of that, so we always fight fair. And if somebody doesn't, like if they're getting up towards the edge and not fighting fair, because you've agreed on these rules of engagement, you can be like, ah, careful, yeah. I can feel you walking towards that. But it, going back to how do you know? Yeah. You know because your emotions yeah, are heightened. Let's go over to impact theory for a second. I think this is really interesting. You've got a fascination with Disney uh, to the point where impact theory's vision, I guess, in some ways is to be the most empowering place on earth, like Disney, the happiest place on earth, right? Uh, t Disney to me is somebody who was zigging before the zag, meaning he was in a creative animation phase before that was cool. Even you talk about Tony Hawk, guy who skated when it was boring and then once skating became cool, Disney, Tony Hawk, they were the category king in that regard. For you, storytelling is the medium by which you want to pull people out of the matrix mm -hmm. with impact theory. The medium, though, and I need you to resolve this for me, or I'd ask you to resolve this for me. The medium is uh, comic books, which feel very traditional. Even the path of movie uh, franchises and so on. Mm -hmm. It feels like we're kind of in that already. Top 10 movie franchises are all comic books. So are you... Is, tell me, explain to me how that is the way in which you can compete on the level of a Disney if you're going the traditional route when your idol, I guess, in some ways went non-traditional and everything caught up to him. Yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, you have to start teasing ideas apart. Yeah. So one, comics have evolved. Yeah. What you're thinking about is superheroes. Sure. And I would say superheroes have kind of played themselves out. So we're definitely not in the superhero genre. Uh, comics are now entirely digital, something yeah. called infinite canvas. So most people don't even, like if I say Webtoon, I'm so curious, how many people know what Webtoon is? Yeah, Six. that shit is real. <laughs> now, now I'm gonna mess you up. There, there is a one-to-one -one number of hours spent reading Webtoon content as watching YouTube content. Oh, shit. Deal with that emotionally. Yeah, really. The fact that none of you knew what it was. So now, let me hit you again. In the West, the comic market made a fatal error in the 90s. I can walk you through it if you want. We may not have time. Believe me when I say they made a fatal error in the 90s, but Japan did not make the same can, fatal can error. Can you clip note it? What's the fatal error? The fatal error was they realized that uh, they were in a very precarious financial situation, and so they wanted to make only comics for people who were already fans. They didn't want to keep getting new fans, which meant that they were making comics for adults. Got it. The Western comic market can be summed up in one way. It is um, very politically aware content for adults. Got it. Now, it's going to make sense real quick when I tell you the following stat. There is a single title in Japan, a single title in Japan that outsells the entire Western comic book market. So Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, Wonder Woman, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, X-Men, all of them combined, even with all the Marvel franchise, all of those combined are outsold by Demon Slayer 
one title of manga made from a country the third of our size. So they figured something out that we have not figured out. Now, it's actually quite robust, and if you want to know more about it, read a book that's going to make your hair curl called A Billion Wicked Thoughts. When I read that book, it changed the trajectory of my company because I realized I had to give up on adults and focus entirely on kids, and that I couldn't ask myself, what do I wish a 12-year-old boy were into? I had to acknowledge what a 12-year-old boy was into, give them that, and use that to inject the ideas that I want them to scaffold their life around. Mm. But what the Western comic book market has done is say, kids should want this. They ought to want this, mm. but they don't, and so they don't buy it, and they're suffering the consequences. So anyway, we're approaching comics. Actually, is only one part of our strategy. Our actual strategy is something we call borderless entertainment. Sure. So the reason that comics is part of our strategy, one, You've got Webtoon, views measured in the billions. It's gigantic. It's just the parents don't know it even exists. Mm -hmm. And then um, on top of that, it's digital. It's evolved a lot. And it can integrate into technology um, through the blockchain. So we have a very robust, very forward-thinking way of doing this. We're building something called Project Kaizen, yeah. which is that it is the thing that makes borderless entertainment possible. So sure. you can have the experience both interacting with your computer or a console, but you could also interact with it. Like we could do something special for people that uh, own something in Project Kaizen based on attending this event. Gotcha. or based on being at the top of the mountain, or uh, based on the number of steps that you walk that day, or your heart rate variability, or getting good grades in school. I mean, you can trigger based on anything you want. It's really incredible. So the future of entertainment is radically different. We're building in a time where it's not cool at all. Like, I sound like an alien to most people when I really go into what my vision is, sure. but they will catch up. Because what you're asking, and all of you as entrepreneurs know this, you're asking, where does human psychology, I'll yell if I have to, uh, there it is. Uh, where does human psychology match up with technology? Mm -hmm. And you're always trying to end up there before anybody else. And I'll just, for anybody that wants to um, really be ahead of the curve, the blockchain, no matter what you're hearing about how bad Web3 and NFTs are, the blockchain, just focus on that, look at the technology and what it does, uh, for sure, it revolutionizes entertainment. It will never be the same. The thing that people want the metaverse to become will only ever become that with the blockchain. But what the blockchain does fundamentally is it brings properties of the physical world into the digital world. Now, if for one second, you could just, even if you think I'm an idiot, just suspend your disbelief and say, what would happen if you actually could bring the laws of physics, like irreversible transactions, I drop something off the balcony, that ball's not coming back, right? So it's going to fall all the way down. My only hope is that it bounces enough, but there's no undoing that. There's no ball drops halfway and then magically comes back into my hand. That's how the digital world is now. It's all fake, it's completely replicatable, you can copy and paste, and so once something's digital, it's completely worthless. Now imagine that I can bring all the value creation that happens when something is physical, and I can make digital items mirror that, where there are irreversible transactions, where I can prove where something is. I can prove who owns it. I can prove who has it. What opportunities that gives them. I could make a door that unlocks or doesn't unlock based on whatever the fuck I want. I could make a room in your house only available to you if you get your heart rate variability, heart rate variability to where you said you want it. 
It's going to change everything. It's so insane. And when people give me the time to talk about this, I will melt your face. This is going to change everything. But I'm in the moment where I look crazy. But let me tell you, when the world catches up, and be like, I've been saying this shit for like the last five years. Yeah. So, but people never listen. Let's make this practical for this group. So first off, if I'm not asking you to, but who could define Web3 in this room? Wow, same thing. Holy shit. I might be the only one that could sort of define it. So I, I look at it this way. I, I think I've ta- heard you talk about it too. Web one, website. Web two is sort of now, social media, interaction, that sort of thing. Web three gets into participation and ownership, NFTs, all of this stuff, like kind of, kind of are in the world of web three. So what you talked about, Kaizen, sort of a 3D avatar gaming platform, uh, the Impact Theory Founders Key, right? These are things that, you know, opening doors and houses, this metaverse that we hear about. If you're a real estate investor, if you're a roofing contracting company owner, is there application in web three that we should be thinking about now that, you know, we can't see right now in the future? Or is it strictly in the entertainment space? No, no, not at all. So here's the way that you need to think about everything in your life, whether it's, um, and people, you're going to see Web3 is going to die off. Nobody's ever going to reference that again, NFTs. It's just the PR problem that it has, it's all going to die. That's fair, yeah. So there's going to be a new word, a new thing, but it's really just the blockchain. What does the blockchain make happen? Put time and energy into figuring out two things, AI and blockchain. If you nail those two things, they're going to define the next 10 to 20 years. Mm. And so if you get, I mean, AI is going to determine the rest of everybody's life. I mean, it's really, however big you think it is, it's bigger than that. So it's, it's just crazy. And it's already usable. But anyway, figuring out what can the technology do. The reason I bring that up, anything in your life, especially in business, you can only follow unless you actually know what the technology does. Why? Because when you understand something from first principles, you can make predictions. So I can make these predictions. Like when I look at blockchain and what it's gonna do to entertainment, it's like it's a, a glowing red light that's screaming. And I'm like, why aren't people paying attention to this? And the reason is they have a frame of reference. They're not thinking from first principles. They're thinking from what they want to happen instead of what is inevitable based on psychology and where it's going to meet the technology. And so if you can get down to first principles thinking, now you've really got something. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. You ready for some questions from the group? I'm ready. Let's do it. Do some Q&A. We got about 15 minutes Make them minutes the left. hardest questions you can think of. All right. Take that thing that is just destroying your life or your business, whatever. Let's go into deep waters as fast as we can. Go for it. 